my experience as a child prodigy in music uh, of, of a very strong sense of consciousness, very strong sense of uh, being more than my physical self. And so I've always suspected that there must be more to us than our body and nervous system and brain. And so I started looking into that question when I was in my mid-twenties, perhaps even earlier twenties, not really seriously in my mid-twenties. But I said the, the, the hunch uh, that consciousness is not reducible to the brain and that there is more to it and more to life also than just the, the, uh, the cells working together. And that is a, a conviction or a, or a hunch, as I say, that I've always had as far back as I can remember. Certainly into my late teens, but as I said, in my mid-twenties, I, I thought I'd start looking into it seriously. So what was your, I suppose, your first activities in the research of, of consciousness? Because it is a very difficult subject to, I suppose, especially empirically research. Um, due to the nature of subjectivity of consciousness, so what was your first, what was your first research into consciousness? What did you, what did you do? Well, I mean, I, I didn't do systematic research. I mean, I was a, I was a musician, mm. professional concert pianist. So that was taking up my, all my interest and time, um, formally at least. But on my own personal level, I, I was intrigued and of course interested in this subject and I started reading whatever came to mind, whatever came to hand. Mm. People referring me to, to their work or to things out to read and uh, uh, my, my own. And then I started being interested in to talk to people, the more and more people came back to me with their ideas and their suggestions. So. I just started inquiring on my own to satisfy my curiosity. It was not a kind of a controlled scientific research. What kind of experiences did you find the, the most interesting that related to the subject of, of consciousness? Now, when I started looking into it, I found that there is a lot of evidence that there is consciousness also beyond the brain, the absence of brain function. And that there, is, uh, there could be consciousness awareness, which is not strictly a product of the brain. Now, when you're playing music, when you're doing music, of course, then you are uh, very strongly uh, involved when everything is working fine, when you're not working or involved with the mechanics of what you're playing. But when you can let go and get into it, it's like getting into poetry or art or dance or, or, or anything of the kind. Then you get into another domain, another field of, 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 of sensations around you. And that I, I, I always cultivated. And I felt that there is a harmony, there is some basic underlying oneness, perhaps, in the world, these are in the world, but these are later concepts that came to me. At the, at the time, I was just intrigued by the fact that there is that there is more to us than uh, that shows, that shows up in the in the analysis of the brain. Mm. 
Certainly the first subject that really got my interest was um, something called veridical uh, perception in near-death experiences where people who are shown to be um, a flat EEGs and no brain activity are able to apparently perceive what's going on around them. What was your thought of that phenomena when you first saw it? Well, I came to that later on. I mean, when I started looking into this, uh, needless experiences were not even named as such, I don't think. And they were certainly not widespread, not widely known. Uh, there were clinical, uh, clinical uh, anecdotes about them, but not much serious research. So when I heard about it, it didn't surprise me. And uh, I, I thought that's something very interesting and important. And I was wondering whether Ogamba has strong intuitive experiences, whether those can be, uh, can be reduced down to brain function or whether they, they also have their own roots someplace else. And the, the idea that the brain is not a producer of consciousness, but a transmitter came later. But when, it, when I thought of that, when I came to that, then I, I felt that that is probably the right tech to investigate. And it's probably the brain is not, uh, not, not the source of our consciousness. But it's like nowadays, it was when I started this, you know, in my, in my mid-20s, in the late 50s, let's say, uh, this, these uh, electronic devices of, of transmission and all that. There was this radio transmission, television transmission, there, there was telephone lines, but very often running through the cords, through the cables. So there was not so widespread information about how uh, information can be transmitted through the ether and through the atmosphere, you know. And, but when I heard about that uh, more and more, then I said, yes, so this is likely to be the case that there is an information field. And when I came up with the notion of field, then of course that uh, rang a bell and many people started pushing me to, um, to, uh, to talk about what in the tradition was called the Akashic field. Did I, did I feel that uh, what, I, what I perceive as a beyond the brain field is something like that the ancients talked about and then I started looking into that, and I found, yes, that it really, it, it seems to satisfy uh, my hunches about what there could be behind these phenomena. Mm. So the, the Akashic record is essentially, I suppose, a, a cosmic database of experience, isn't it? Of, of I suppose, yes. maybe not only human experience, but also animal experience? Well, experience is the sense of whatever is happening whatever takes place. I mean, if, if the quanta are joining together to form an atom, that's, uh, that's something that's happening in the universe. And obviously uh, the, the whole evolutionary process, that's also, this also came later to me, whole notion that things are not what they were, things are what they are now is what they have evolved into. Mm and that this evolution is also affecting or is part of the consciousness. Consciousness is also not what is just simply given once and for all, but it's something that evolves over time and is part of a larger process. All these thoughts came crystallized later on, but 
initially my my feeling and my hunches and my experience in, in music and in other forms of art, obviously, when it's opening up to this kind of experiences, it showed me that uh, yeah, there is, there's bound to be more. There's bound to be more than the, the physiological or physical interactions that uh, the sciences and those, mainstream sciences in those days talk almost exclusively of that. And rather being against it or, or mistrusting, distrusting that there should be anything more than that. Yes, there does certainly seem to be a contrast between, I suppose, the the artists of the world, the I suppose the right brain um, dominant individuals and the left brain scientific uh, logical point of view. Who who um, the artists will inherently feel a connection to their work and to the often to the earth and and the um, universe in general. You hear that a lot, whereas the scientists and the critical, I suppose, left brain individuals will, will often dismiss that as as fantasy with no evidence to support that kind of thing um and unfortunately that seems to be the dominant view in in the western world especially well that's what i call the old paradigm the mainstream paradigm which is still dominant in many circles but not in the forefront not in the avant-garde i mean when you really are into this phenomena then you know that you have to go further than just the Newtonian ideas of mass points interacting in space and time. That there is, that there is more to it. So I think this, the, the, the choice is not either science or spirituality or these experiences being either as bunked, to be debunked as being just uh, illusion or being uh, completely changing our conception of, uh, of what the brain is, what the mind is, what consciousness is. But it's not uh, a divisive line, not, not either or. Science, if it's true and good science, is embracing the deeper uh, field domains of human experience. Hmm. I think we have had advantage of a reflective consciousness that we not only perceive the world around us, but we can also look at that perception, identify it, and very, consider what it is. And then we can come to conclusions based on evidence and based on intuition as well. Intuition being, I agree with Einstein, at least it's important, if not more important than reasoning intuition coming from experience, not just wild speculation, but based on what we really feel that uh, in the depths of our own consciousness, uh, we, feel, uh, the, we feel the presence of consciousness, which is not reducible uh, uniquely to the brain function. Mm. Although it's correlated certainly cl- very closely to it. And I suppose that's where the confusion often, often comes is um, when we know that if we change parts of the brain, parts of con- or our ability to perceive or interpret things changes. And I suppose the mainstream view of that is the confusion between correlation and causation. Mm. Mm. Although there does seem to be a, very, a, a recent synthesis um, um, between science and spirituality in, in the realms of quantum mechanics, or at least there seems to be a perception that that is the case. 
Have you dived very deeply into quantum consciousness and, and um, theories? Well, I become that? more and more aware of it. You, know? hmm. you can't explain this phenomena except with the same kind of concepts that show up in the quantum field because the, the examination, the analysis of the micro domains of the, of the physics of the universe come up with a phenomena that is very strongly suggestive of, of the spiritual domain, the phenomena of interconnection and memory and mutual causation, co-evolution, as the Buddhists would say, you know, creative co-evolution. All of these sort of things uh, coming up on the new quantum physics, the new quantum cosmology, and it's now entering quantum brain research. So consciousness research is, benefits a great deal from the enlarged framework that we get when we take seriously the phenomena that is coming to the to, to sight, coming to life, coming to the fore uh, at the leading edge of the investigation of the very large and of the very small. We are at an in-between domain, at the meso domain. And we think that the whole rest is like, like this. Actually, we are just partaking, experiencing a very small segment of all the frequencies, of all the phenomena that, that, uh, that is experienceable around us. It is taking a very little bit. And that little bit is convenient since 250 years of Newton or so to examine that in terms of mechanical causation and a law, the mechanistic laws of nature that explains a lot of the surface phenomena, a lot of the, no, I would say surface, no, phenomena of the surface of the earth. But when you go beyond that, uh, then of course you see that you, you can't explain the phenomena with those concepts. You have to go further. And then the actual laboratory experiences are at the, at the, at the new quantum physics level. Of, of non-locality, for example, you know, this instant interconnection is such that it uh, really blows apart this, the framework, the rigid framework of the old Newtonian paradigm, which by the way, just in all fairness to Newton, was not Newton's paradigm, no Newton's thinking, it was his followers who, who blew it up into a whole worldview. Newton was a deeply spiritual person his writings still conserved in the British Museum, you know, illustrate how, how actually looking for, for all kinds of uh, spiritual phenomena for explication. Mm. It, certainly, it certainly does seem to mirror a lot of the world's um, orthodox religions as well, in the sense that there was an original kind of teaching, whether it be um, Newton's th uh, theories or Jesus's teachings, that people then got hold of, reinterpreted and made into this worldview from a teaching that was very um, very general to begin with. Well, it's a good thing to start with something, you know, mm. and, but as long as one doesn't blow it up and make it into, into everything, start as what we can experience with our senses, fine. That's what the positivist philosophers have been trying to do. And everything else is, is, is what they call metaphysics. You know, the famous Vienna Circle philosophers of the early 20th century. You know, you, if you called, if they called, you, called your, your ideas metaphysics, that means pejorative, that means bunk, you know, that, that uh, no validity. 
But then this expansion of our worldview is, is came about because the experience, the experiments, and then the protocol experiences are much wider than could be explained by that narrow mechanistic space-time material energy framework. And you, you mentioned that um, all of that, the material aspects, seems to only constitute the very surface level of, of existence. And I know that um, uh, a guy who works at the Monroe Institute, William Buhlman, has, has described it as kind of the epidermis layer of, of, of reality. Uh, so what, what would you say, if you could very briefly kind of describe, because I know it's often beyond, uh, beyond explanation, but what would constitute the... I suppose the majority of, of reality that's maybe invisible to the material senses. Frequency. You know, Tesla said that already. If you're really interested to find out what there is in the world, then look at look at it in terms of frequency. Because frequency refers to vibration, propagating vibration, wave phenomena. And I think the wave aspect of reality is the fundamental aspect. But there is ultimately, if you want to reduce it, I don't like the word, but we're talking about trying to account for it in some basic really level. What you have to take into account is that it's all interacting wave, wave phenomena, which we can try to understand in terms of wave functions and coherence between the waves, non-locality, phenomena of in-phase waves, merging together and forming larger patterns and creating, basically, creating the complex phenomena that we are now not only experiencing, but believing really is, is underlying the world. So the world is, is wave, is energy, formed, informed energy, to use the term that David Bohm brought into being. It's information, it is a hyphen. And if, if you ask me, and I've written that in my several of my books. What there is in the book, I would say, informed energy. So information is basic, but information is carried by something, by something. It doesn't just float in, in thin air. Also, it's in the ether, which is thinner than any thinner. But if it is carried by something which is energy, not energy in, a, in any physical manifest form where we can measure it and make it run through uh, coils and create electricity and all that energy in a more fundamental basic sense in which it is an effective agent, something that is happening in the world, something that creates what we experience, something which is closest to the old idea of matter, but it's not rigid and it's not local. It's non-local, it's universal, and it's highly interacting and interconnected. And, and, and universal in, in, all its, in all its respects. It's a field. The universe is an energy, informed energy field. That's how I would phrase it. I suppose, I wonder, what's your opinion on, on those who experience um, what they would describe as astral, um, astral landscapes and astral planes i suppose where their imagination their consciousness is much more causal and much more rapidly um effective on the on the environment have you looked much into that subject 
one of the causal effects has been studied today by brain research, by, by psychotherapists, by, by a lot of whole new group of people who are believing that mind has an effect in, in, in the world. And it's not just through the brain, but the fact that you can affect, you can affect each other through the through the ether, through the field, I would say, through the akashic field. So uh, there is uh, bulk of today's avant-garde research into brain and mind and reality is dealing with the mutual, the mutual effect of phenomena that we used to call spiritual phenomena or mental phenomena that we now recognize is really part of the reality of the world. I wouldn't say physical reality because it's a metaphysical reality at the same time. It's an encompassing reality in which the physical is an expression of the spiritual. Not everything that's spiritual is obviously true or reducible or accountable in terms of physical phenomena. There's a lot of imagination and a lot of, lot of just unfounded speculation around and about. But when you get into deep intuitive experience that is bound to have a basis in reality and that reality is informed energy. So someplace the frequency that, that we pick up, the frequencies, the domains of frequency, which is very, very small, Little segment of the of the overall frequencies that are given in this field, <coughs> and who knows how much more we'll be discovering in the coming years. So it's it's a great temptation to say that this is this is how the world is, just because this is the part that we can understand, we can experience, and somebody account for. But if we start with the idea that reality is not reducible to matter-like interactions, but it's, it's really an, an informational phenomena, an information which is carried in the, in the, in by a cosmic form of energy that we can not well, not properly call matter, but, but call something, something with existence, an existent, it's difficult to name these things, you know, mm, already. Mm. Certainly. Finnish physicist. What's his name? Not David Bohm, the, I'll come to think of it so well. The Copenhagen School of Quantum Physics. Right. You know? Yeah. And he's, he's already came up with the notion of, uh, pointed out that we cannot name these phenomena, not in terms of everyday concepts. So we better accept it and deal with it and we are trying to concretize it in terms that uh, are reducing its richness and rich, rich, reducing its, its extent. Hmm. So when, when you say that information is kind of the, the fundamental level of, of existence informed energy, what what would you say would you say that that is facilitated by consciousness would you say that consciousness is is fundamental is that fundamental information i think it's information is fundamental if you can talk about something there is there are patterns 
of this universal energy, cosmic energy, which express effect, which affect others, affect others, other phenomena, and jointly create the reality which is around us. So it's, it's, it's basic, you can't get beyond it. Schrodinger said you can't get beyond consciousness because whatever you look for, it's always in terms of consciousness. The same thing with, with information, you can't get beyond it. Whatever you do, it's always comes back to being information. And if you try to reduce it to information that's communicated through a channel, then you are again not doing it justice. Information is, is, is the relationship, is the structure which is given in the, in the cosmos. And it is that structure which is the basis for our existence and it's the basis for our experience. Hmm. So ultimately you get, you get down there and you can't uh, move, say that it is derived from something else. There is an information field and this information field began to evolve, to articulate itself, to integrate its elements and to, uh, to create uh, complexity and coherence, probably as far as we know, but it's also not 100% certain, as far as we can now guess, it started a process that started at a certain point eight billion years ago. But whether it started with the process or the process was a phase in its evolution, we don't know. But we can now make some sense of the physical phenomena by assuming that it has started evolving into what it is uh, at the Big Bang, 13.8 billion years ago. One analogy that I heard, which seemed to kind of bring it, bring the concept of information into a clearer viewpoint, at least for me, was the analogy of, of a, a, a computer on a, on a computer screen. You have an icon which runs a script, and in the background, you've got the system of binary code which runs that script and is represented by that icon. So I suppose the analogy is that the information behind that icon and how it functions is the fundamental level of information in reality, and the icon on the on the desktop screen is what we see, how it's represented. Well, I mean, uh, uh, Plato said 2,500 years ago that we see our shadows in the wall, you know, and that's, that's the same function as what you are talking about. I mean, we are seeing something which is a, which is a surface phenomena. There is something uh, that is beyond it, that is its source, and that we don't perceive as such. We can only infer into and that's the sort of the, the, the source, the, the flame, the, the fire, Plato said, in the, in the cave that is behind us, which we don't see the directly, but we see the, the, see the shadows. And what we perceive are, 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 are some kind of shadows. And you are using holographic ideas also, you can see that those are holographic segments. Uh, many, uh, il manifested by some energy uh, illuminating it perhaps and coming to, coming to life and coming to, uh, to experienceable levels. But what there is, is this, is this uh, deeper level which we can infer, which we can also intuit and sense. I'm convinced that our deepest intuitions reflect 
something which is beyond what our senses can perform and can perceive. Certainly. So I suppose the the main question that I focus on would be what what is your opinion on what you've discovered, its implications of what our experience will be, if any, after physical death? Because I think that is the fundamental question of, of humanity, because it's the only certain thing to happen to all of us. I think the continuity of consciousness. That's the basic item. If consciousness is not produced by the brain, not completely produced by the brain, it could be elaborated by the brain. But if consciousness is a cosmic phenomenon, which is a hologram of which the, the human brain, in fact, most any, any organized uh, like, uh, system of, of wave patterns is a, is a translator, is a transformer. Then, of course, then this, this basic information field is, 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 you can say, permanent. It's not a product of evolution. It's not a product of anything that happened in evolution. It's something which is basic to the universe, informed energy. Because information produced is consciousness. I wouldn't want to say mechanically produced, but the information in a structured way is consciousness. And it is something which the human brain transfers, translates, and manifests, provided it's tuned to a broader frequency. Mm. Very, very much, very much like a transceiver on a radio. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Mm. Yes. Mm. You have to get get out to the broad frequencies beyond the beyond the sense perceivable aspect of reality. And there are those who, during um, near-death experiences and but also during um i suppose some spiritual experiences of meditation and out-of-body experience or as some people call it astral projection who have claimed to have um i suppose visited for want of a better word these other frequencies which they believe is the at the afterlife realms what's your thought on that kind of experience well every experience that is actual experience is indubitable. It's simply it's something that happened. Explaining it is another matter. We may or may not be able to explain it. Maybe we haven't come across it. Maybe nonplussed by it. But it's not to give up. If something is experienced, is is is, is effective. Now, it may not be what we think it is. But certainly the fact that we experience something is, shows that there is something to be experienced. And that's really as far as we go. And uh, we can experience, apparently we can experience consciousness beyond the physical brain, beyond the functioning of the physical brain. And the evidence is really overwhelming on that. Oh, it seems to be that there is a level of consciousness also beyond physical death, these, all these after-death experiences. And they uh, sometimes so, so veridical, so uh, confirmable. There's a whole series of experiences written down. They include experiences by Bertrand Russell, the famous uh, skeptical British philosopher, 
as well as oriental sages and many, many more. So there is clearly some experience, experience continuing independently of the functioning of the physical brain that has transformed it up till now, up to up in our lifetime. It continues and it's probably it can be reassociated with experiences that are produced by other physical brains evolving, coming perhaps from an early stage of the evolution in an embryonic stage, but uh, being reassociated and uh, his experiences continue because the hologram, which is the informed energy field of the cosmos, it is not a, a transitory phenomenon, not a, not a finite phenomenon. It is something which exists, which persists, continues. At one time, some, some of the time, at some places, it's transferred, it's opened as though it was. This is a metaphor that I also read because well, well taken. It's as if the eye of the cosmos would be then opening or then closing again. But it's it's something which is open. You bring a translator, a transformer to work at that field, and then you have the phenomenon that grasp. But the phenomena themselves that produces it, those phenomena exist, and those are continue, continuous and evolving. Hmm. It's just one point I'd like to pick up on before we, we finish that you mentioned um, that I agree with, that there is overwhelming evidence of consciousness without brain function. Um, I suppose because I come at this from a very scientific background, just the way I am, I always look for empirical things like this. And a lot of people would, do, would strongly disagree with, with that assertion. So why, what, what do you think constitutes the overwhelming evidence of consciousness without brain function? Well, the most concrete kind of evidence is when people, we can call them spiritual, uh, people who may have, may have already been dead, but anyway, they manage to get messages across, which are very, very unlikely to have been produced by some other mind or consciousness, which will be difficult to come across mm. by others. Mm, I've corrected sorry. some of this uh, in, in a book called The Immortal Mind mm-hmm. with Anthony Peake. Anthony Peake, yeah. And there's a lot of it, uh, a lot of evidence there we can, uh, we can describe. There's more coming every day. So I think that's the, uh, that's the, had the manifest given to hand evidence, you know. But if we allow our mind, our consciousness to penetrate deeper, then our intuition will tell us that consciousness that we perceive is a small segment. It's a holographic fragment of the overall hologram, which is the universe as, as an instantality. Okay, so which, um, if people want to learn more about your work and your research and your interests, which, which books would you recommend that they they look to? Or which resources should they look to? Well, in quite a, quite a few books, in fact. Probably if you look at the published titles, uh, published more than 100 different books that appear under my name. And some of them appear in different languages, 24 languages. The most recent one is going to be published 
I mean, recent terms of my research. It's going to be published on the 28th of September. It's called The Wisdom Principles by St. Martin's Press, which is Macmillan. And I try to just distill those few ideas, those little nuggets which occurred to me on the basis of my intuitions and experiences and interpretations to be relevant and truthful. And I just state that in the form of a little metaphors, one or two pages each, sometimes just half a page, about and two headings. One is one is the the non-temporary eternal truth, as it were, because we're, that we're dealing with is true independently of the space and time in which you are dealing with it. And then, then, then the timely truth also, when which is particularly has a, occurs as a relevant to our present moment in history, in an evolution. But the basic truths are eternal and non-conditioned by space and time. And so the wisdom principles is one such book. And I've, I've written too many to be able to, to, to list even, even most of them, but another book I wrote, which is, which is relevant to this, is the uh, uh, well, perhaps I'll say first, is, is the non-local universe, the interconnected universe, and the the in, in, the information field. I have to look, look up those 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 titles precisely, but an important an important one is what I call now my my journey, which is an autobiographical one, which I trying to answer many of the questions that you are posing, because I pose them myself, and this my journey is going to be published next month, in the middle of October, eighteenth of Great. October. Right, but it 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 is it is goes deep down. So, physical science books, the interconnected universe, for example, is that, and then the spiritual books, this this non-local uh, immortal mind, and the and now the wisdom principles. So, so they're they're the books to go to. Some ideas, and yeah. they they are all available on. Um, through the internet on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and of course you have the work of your your institute the Laszlo Institute would you like to just uh, briefly describe what what that what that does well I I I feel as my colleagues that change is not it's continuous but not smooth it comes in, in in peaks and valleys and troughs and uh Change is coming in a very non-local fashion. Progress is also coming. It comes through crisis very often. Right now, there is a leap, which we can call metaphorically as a kind of a quantum leap in our ideas of who we are and what the world is. Some of the things that we have been discussing for the past half hour. And these actually constitute a new paradigm. A new paradigm for our thinking about reality about our existence in the world, about the reasons for our, for our being here. And to promote this new paradigm openly, not as a dogma, but as something that we want to look into and explore together, I have founded an institute which carries my name, but it's called more exactly the last Institute of New Paradigm Research. 
and uh, here we can explore systematic work in any aspect of the new paradigm. The most recent one that I'm just now working on the proceedings of was last month and we did an international symposium on the new paradigm in politics. Politics, as you probably realize and agree, is badly, badly in need of rejuvenation and reformation. It's a very old-fashioned politics still, and it's just creating all these fragmentations and, and, and diseases and, and, and this and perfectly uh, unacceptable conditions in the world, dangerous conditions also. So a new paradigm in politics is one aspect. We are going to have a seminar, a, a symposium on, the, on, on health and issues of health as well as on consciousness. And even I'm thinking of now going into the very widest domains, the original domains, the cosmology. How did the universe come into being? Can that tell us something about what the universe is and who we are as part of the universe? So these are lots and lots of areas for research into a new paradigm. This new paradigm is being disregarded and dismissed by, by very conservative, narrow-minded elements. But many of those have been shaken up. And now there is more opening, more openness to look at phenomena in, the, in their own terms. And so I think the Institute has become more relevant than it was, than we expected it to be even a few years ago when I founded it. And so I hope that open-minded, inquiring people Seeking people, as you say, will uh, be joining our work. We welcome that. We'd like to carry on this work jointly uh, in, a, in a cooperative fashion. It's important to us, for us, both in terms of understanding the world and understanding ourselves, and in terms of living in this world, not destroying each other and in conditions that make life possible in this world. All of these are highly in question. Mm. A very important work. Certainly the world is in need of a, a new, more healthy paradigm. Indeed it is. Okay. I appreciate your, your, your inquiry, your, your undertaking about seeking the phenomena of life and the understanding. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. It is, it is, it is fundamental. It has to be open. Mm. I, I think especially... especially yes. I think especially the phenomena of death, especially in the West, is very, unfortunately, is, is ignored or tried to be hidden away, whereas it is the most fundamental or the most guaranteed experience of all of us. And I think the most fundamental question that needs to be answered. Exactly. It's who we are. It's the most difficult question. As Oracle Adelphi also said, know who you are. It's the most difficult one because we are very much an expression of the totality of this world. And we cannot delimit that. And this is life and that's not life. This is matter, that's not, that's not matter. There is no such thing. There is no otherness. There is no nothing outside of this overall information field, which produces a phenomena and which evolves and becomes more and more complex, more and more rich, and to which we can continue. And exploring that is the greatest challenge we can, we, can, we can accept, we can face, and also is the most exciting and rewarding one. 